this uh, tonight. So I want you to take your Bible, please, and go with me to the book of John in the New Testament, the gospel according to John, to chapter number four. We're going to John chapter number four this evening. And uh, thank you so very much for being here and being present and uh, had a great day. Got to spend some time with your pastor. Went down to see where Brother Whittemore is down at the Anchor Baptist Church and all of their ministries there. Just overwhelmed with what all I saw there uh, today. And then the preacher rode me over the mountain. Uh, he and I went down Sliding Rock. It was really fun. Uh, no, 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 no. He, he, he carried me over there and I thought he was going to push me on it, but he didn't, thank God. And, uh, but he showed me around, boy. Uh, you, you don't realize that my wife says you live in vacation land, all right? Uh, my daughter married, uh, married and her husband was from Irwin, Tennessee. And so the uh, first two or three years they were married, we'd go to see them. And she said, she'd tell my daughter every time, you live in vacation land. You live in vacation land. We live in Raleigh. I mean, you know, come on. And uh, I mean, I mean even, even Barney didn't particularly want to go to go to Raleigh, you know, so it's, it's all good, all right? But John chapter 4, if you would stand with me, if you're able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I would direct our attention for the message to verse 31. That's where we're going to begin reading in just a moment, verse 31. And I'm going to read down verse 38 uh, this evening. So you found John chapter 4, verse 31, says, In the meanwhile... His disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. Now, what what has happened here is Jesus has come into the region of Samaria, which is a region that no Orthodox Jew would naturally pass through because they considered the Samaritans to be less than them. But I love John 4, 4. It says he, talking about Jesus, must needs go through Samaria. And uh, he's gone through there, and they've gone into town to buy him something to eat. Uh, They've left him on the well, Jacob's well, outside of the city. And uh, he's had a conversation, and we'll come back and talk about that in a moment. And so when they get back, uh, they say to him, Master, eat. We want you to eat. We went and bought this, and here's something to eat. Verse 32, but he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth And he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. This is a 
wonderful passage of Scripture to me. God's used it in my life, and I pray He'll use it in your life tonight, my life as well. As, as we look at it's harvest time. Let's pray together, would you please? Father, I, I thank you for your word. I, I thank you that you use your word in our lives to convict us, to challenge us, to change us. And I, I pray tonight that you'll do all of that in our lives, my life, the life of every here. I pray you'll bless the praters as they go over with the boys and girls tonight. And I, I pray that time will be a time of encouragement and strength in those Boys and girls' lives, if there's some there that don't know Christ, I pray tonight there'd be a greater hunger in their heart to know Jesus. And I pray there'll be a greater hunger to be like the praetors and follow you in your will. Lord, I pray for this service, Lord. I pray you'll speak to my heart. I pray you'll speak to our hearts. Lord, I know tonight you want us to do exactly what you exhorted your men to do on that day. You want us to lift up our eyes, look on the fields, and realize it's now harvest time. Lord, we're not living in a time where there's no harvest. We're living in a time where there ought to be sowing and reaping. There ought to be cultivating and planting. Uh, there, ought to be, there ought to be the harvest of souls. And so I pray that tonight you would challenge us afresh and anew from your word and by your spirit. I yield myself to you. As best I know how, I ask you to help me to be a spirit-filled preacher, but I pray every person will be a spirit-filled listener that knows Christ as their Savior. I pray it all in His precious name, and for His sake I ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I think all of us understand tonight that the, the reason that we're having this meeting, and I suppose you've had this meeting for a while, a missions conference, whatever you want to call it, is because we believe that God's purpose for the local New Testament church is to take the gospel and to share it with people around the world. If you were to ask me tonight, Pastor Rabin, what is, a, what is the definition of a local church? Here's my definition. A, a local church is a baptized fellowship of believers who come together around common doctrine for the common purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. So, so a local church is a fellowship of baptized believers coming together around common doctrine for the common purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. We talked about that commission a little bit last night as we looked at Genesis chapter 10 together. We, we talked about that commission over in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, all power is given to me, heaven and earth. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo, I'm with you all the way even to the end of the world. Mark chapter 16 verse 15, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Here in this gospel, chapter number 20 and verse number 21, Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So, so we understand that Boiling Springs Baptist Church tonight exists for the purpose of fulfilling God's command. That that's a responsibility that God's given to every one of us. God's not just given that uh, to your pastor, or to Brother Scoggins, or, or, or to a few folks here that might serve in leadership. God's given every one of us tonight, individuals, believers, 
uh, the responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. But you know, the, the wonderful thing about Jesus is he didn't just tell us something to do and didn't do it himself. As a matter of fact, John 4 is, is just an amazing chapter in the Bible, in, in my opinion. It, it follows a wonderful chapter, chapter 3. Chapter 3 finds Jesus one night talking with a very highly religious man by the name of Nicodemus. And when he talks to Nicodemus, Jesus has one focus as he speaks to Nicodemus. And that one focus is found in John chapter 3 and verse 7. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And he talks to this highly religious man and Nicodemus, I believe, comes to know Christ, whether it's that night or later, but we know that he shows up later in the story of Christ. We know that he is a part of the burial of the Lord Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea. And so I believe that somewhere along the road, Nicodemus had come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was because Jesus himself was a personal soul winner. But, but then you get to chapter 4, and, and, and I, won't, I won't bore you with the details, but you remember that little country last night? It's up there in the middle of the world, Israel. It, it's divided into three parts. The, the northern part's called Galilee. The middle part's called Samaria. And, and the southern part is called Judea. Now, on the east side of the, of the land of Israel is the Jordan River. Uh, and, uh, and so an Orthodox Jew that was going to travel from Galilee in the north to Judea in the south or from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north didn't go straight through. You and I know the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. You know what today is? Today's Pi Day. Amen. Pi Day. Yeah, you know, they try to tell me when in school, Pi R square. I said, no, cornbread R square, Pi R round. Uh, but, but anyway, and, and so, so we know it's a straight line. But, but a Jew... When he was traveling from the north to the south, south to north, he would cross the Jordan River twice, go through the land of Perea, cross that Jordan River twice so he didn't have to step his foot inside of Samaria. But Jesus is going through Samaria. Why? Because Jesus has a divine appointment. That, that appointment is to meet this woman at, at the well. And so he gets there to the well, and we won't go through the whole story, but you'll trust me, many of you are familiar with, the, with this account in the life of our Lord, but, but he gets there to the well, and he says to her, give me the drink, and she says, well, sir, you, you, you know, um, you're, you're a man, I'm a woman, and you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan, and why in the world would you ask me to give you something to drink? And he said, woman, if you knew who you was talking to, you'd ask me. <laughs> I'm the living water. You'll drink it and never thirst again. She said, now, okay, all right. And, and he, says, uh, he said, well, won't you go call your husband? She said, uh, I have no husband. He said, that's right, you don't. You have had five, the one you're living with, you just shacked up with him now. You know what? She, he, was, he was showing her that her religion was empty, showing her that her life was empty because she didn't have God. And, and, and then she said, well, you know, let's talk about religious things again. How about, how about where we're supposed to uh, worship, in, in Gerizim or Jerusalem? And he said, ma'am, if you just knew who was talking to you, you you'd understand God's a spirit and they worship God, worship, must worship in spirit and truth. And she said, I know Messiah's coming. He looks at her and says, I am. Wow. So what does she do? 
I love verse 28. She runs into the city, forgets her water pot. I, I love what the old time preacher said. She got, forgot her water pot because she was leaving with the well. Amen. She, she forgot her water pot, ran back into town and said, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And so while she's running into town, the disciples are walking out of town and they're a little curious. Why would Jesus be talking to this Samaritan woman? She came to the well at the noon hour, which meant she was probably a woman of ill repute. Jesus in that setting seeks to teach his disciples a lesson that he prays they will never forget. That lesson is simply this. It's harvest time. You know, sometimes we tend to think someday, by and by, somewhere else. No, no, listen to me, listen to me. You and I are living in the greatest day of greatest opportunity the world's ever known for the gospel. Did you know tonight there are over eight billions of souls? Eight billion of souls who are living on this planet with us. There are more open doors for the gospel than there has ever been. Countries around the world, countries that were once completely off limits to us have swung their doors open to the gospel. I know there are still restricted countries. I still understand that they're oppressed people. But, but the truth is... The question tonight is not, is there an opportunity? The, the question tonight is, will we seize the opportunity that God's given us? Someone said there are four things that never return. Number one, a word that's spoken, an arrow that's shot, a life that's passed, and an opportunity that's wasted. I want you tonight to look with me and see the possibility of the harvest. Three thoughts the Lord Jesus shares with us here in our text. Number one, the food that should activate us. Well, they've gone to get this food and Jesus has been talking to this woman and she's come to understand and believe he's the Messiah and she is running into town to tell others that he's there. They say, Master, eat. They left him tired, but he's now invigorated. They left him hungry, but he seems now to be satisfied. They left him thirsty, but he sure seems refreshed. And they couldn't understand it because notice what Jesus says to him in verse 32. I have meat to eat that ye know not of. And so they go, somebody, somebody, went, somebody went to McDonald's and beat us back. Who, 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 who did that? Who, who went and got some food? I mean, why, why would they get food? We, we walked all the way in. I, mean, I can hear them, can't you? I mean, Peter's saying, oh, can you believe this? Somebody beat us back here. Jesus wasn't talking about physical food. He, he wasn't talking about that which you and I consume. He, he was talking about that which consumed him. See, they didn't understand it. So, so, so Jesus speaks real plain to them. Look at verse 34. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me 
and to finish his work. You know what the burning passion of Jesus Christ was while he was here on earth? The burning passion of the Lord Jesus was to do the will of the Father. Leave, leave a Bible marker right there in John 4. We'll be back in a moment. Let's just peruse right through John just a little bit. Go me to chapter 5, would you please? Ch- chapter number 5. And look with me, if you will, there at verse number 30. Jesus is speaking and he says, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not mine own but the will of the Father which have sent me. Jesus said, I'm not here. I'm not here to accomplish my own purpose. I'm not working on my own plan. Can, can I just say to you, and I who know Christ tonight, Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. What? No, you're not. That your body's a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Jesus said, I'm here not doing what I want to do. I'm here doing what the Father wants me to do. Go to chapter 6 of John. Chapter 6. Chapter 6. Look at verse 38. Verse 38, he says, For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. You remember I quoted John 20, 21 a few moments ago. As my Father sent me, even so send I you. Go go with me, if you will, to chapter 8. Chapter 8 of John, look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Look at the right. Matter of fact, read the rest of that verse out loud with me. You ready? We're going to start there at that semicolon with the word for. You ready? Here we go. For I do always those things that please him. So so when you understand that Jesus wasn't here to do his own plan, fulfill his own purpose, but but he was here to do the will of the Father, then you understand how it was even though he was facing the torments, not just of physical death. I do not believe that Jesus would have ever shied away from the physical death, but that which uh, Brother Whittemore prayed a few moments ago, he, he was about to drink the cup of sin. He was about to be made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And, and so when he faced that cup, Jesus prayed in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Oh, my Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass from me. But these words, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Jesus had a food that activated him. You you know know one of the marks of a healthy body is? It wants to eat. So I'm healthy. <laughs> I'm healthy. I don't have any problem eating. I, you know, I uh, was diagnosed with diabetes four and a half years ago and had to change all my whole lifestyle and all my diet and all that. But, but I tell my wife, I said, I still got a carb brain. I, I love, still love carbohydrates. I just can't eat them. But I, but I, I, I still want, man, I, you, you, you couldn't make a dessert I wouldn't eat. Okay? I mean, if I could eat it, I'd eat it in a heartbeat. So, so 
Jesus here says, I'm consumed with the Father's will. Can I tell you, just like the mark of a healthy body is a hunger for food, the mark of a healthy soul is a hunger for God's will in my life. See, I believe the only place, the only place of satisfaction for a Christian is in the will of God. Now, now, please understand, okay, now, because you get to a missions conference like this and you think, oh, Pastor Raven, he thinks everybody ought to be a missionary. Everybody ought to go to Japan. Everybody ought to go to Paraguay. Everybody ought to go to Chile. Everybody ought to go to Peru. I think you go to Chile's if you go right here on the, on the road here. But, 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 but listen to me. No, I don't think the will of God is everybody ought to go, okay? I think a lot more is supposed to go than are going. I'm just being honest with you, all right? But, 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 but I know this, I know God's got a will for every person. Not, nobody, I don't care what your parents told you. If your parents told you you were an accident, you weren't an accident. God brought you here. God's got a purpose for everybody. God's got a plan for everybody's life. And the place of satisfaction for every child of God is the will of God. David Livingston, a few years ago I visited London, England. Went to Westminster Abbey. He's buried there. It's not like you think it is if you've never been there. You can walk on all these things, so it's almost worn out. You can't hardly read his name now. But, but you, I love what Livingston said, a great missionary to Africa. He, he, said, he said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of the will of God. I'd rather be doing what God wants me to do, is what Livingston was saying, than, than anything else in this world. And I believe that ought to be your desire tonight. That ought to be my desire. We ought to have a food that activates us into action. It's harvest time. Number two, the fields that should motivate us. Look at verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus said, Say not ye. Now, why did he say, Say not ye? Well, from my study of the scriptures, Jesus is quoting a familiar Jewish proverb. This is a proverb they used four months before it comes harvest. In other words, don't have to do it today, you know. Some some of us know some people that their greatest act in life is procrastination, you know. Don't have to do it today. It's not going to be done today. We got four months. It's going to be a harvest and I understand that's what this is. And, and, and the image of a harvest is a familiar one in the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, right here in, in this passage is going to be a harvest. I mean, you go down to verse 39. We start verse 38. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. And can I tell you what that does? That, that destroys the thought that some of us have when it comes to sharing our faith is I just don't know what to say. You know what you got to say when you tell somebody about Jesus? You just got to tell your testimony. I, I preached a few weeks ago, Pastor Luther, on, uh, on uh, sharing your story. And, and we stopped in the middle of the service and, and I made all of our people pair up in twos. And I made them all share their story with each other. I said, you ought to be able to give your testimony. You ought to be able to give your testimony in a minute, minute and a half. And tell what you were before you came to Christ. Tell how you came to Christ and tell what God's done since you came to Christ. That's all your story is. I was a sinner. I was trusting my mom and dad to get me into heaven. That's my story. This is my story, okay? And, and, and it's, tomorrow night will be 53 years ago. 
said, I trusted Jesus. I thought I'd go into heaven because my mom and daddy is going. But that night I realized I was a sinner and that God didn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. And that night I repented of my sins and trusted Jesus as my Savior. And ever since that night, I've had the peace and the joy of God in my heart to know that my sins are forgiven and I'm going to spend forever with Him. That's all it is. And everybody in this room, listen to me, everybody in this room who's saved, you've got a story. I know some of you say, yeah, but it'd take me 40 minutes to tell. That's all right. Most folks aren't going to listen 40 minutes, but go ahead and have, have yourself a time, okay? What did this woman do? do? She went back into town and all she said to the men of the city, he told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And many, you just read it right there in verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. That's all all it takes. There's a harvest. The, The fields, they're white already to harvest. I guarantee you, I guarantee you. Now listen to me. I just know people. I've been, I've been in the same church 41 years, okay? And I've been there pastor 25. So I know people, okay? I, it, it, I'm, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm, I'm pretty good at reading people. And if I can't read you, my wife can about 30 seconds quicker than I can, okay? I, I can hear them, can't you? Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, they're going into town. They are bemoaning. Why did Jesus bring us through Samaria? Don't he know? Ain't nobody here likes us. Look at them. Look at them. Look how they're looking at us. They're saying, what y'all doing here? Y'all don't belong here. And, and they all the way in town, you, you, they're, they're, they're thinking, oh, you know what? This is a wasted trip. I don't know why we're here. Ain't nobody going to listen to us. Jesus not going to have a convert here. There ain't nothing going to happen here. You ever been there? You ever been there? Where, where, where you thought, oh, ain't nobody here interested in what I got to say about Jesus. I, and I don't know where it was. It may have been a family gathering. It, it may have been at work and around the break table. It, I don't know. I, I'll give you one of the stories in my life. I, I was a freshman in college in Nashville, Tennessee. College I attended, it required that every student do a Christian service assignment, a Christian work. And so my first Christian service assignment was downtown track distribution in Nashville. Well, I'm telling you, I came from a town of about 30 or 40,000 people. When I went to Nashville, I don't know how many Nashville would have had then, maybe, maybe five or 600,000. I don't know what they would have had then, a lot larger city today. But, but, but man, when I went downtown Nashville, dropping this little South Alabama boy, L.A. boy, <laughs> in Nashville, I thought, ain't none of these people going to pay me no mind. They running here. They, they weren't as fast as some of them Japanese was in that video that time lapsed up quick. But, but, but I mean, they, they, they going everywhere. I'm downtown on the sidewalk. But, but listen, the man who sent me there was a little bit of a sawed-off man like that. He, 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 I, I didn't want to go back and face Dr. Ainge and say, you know, I didn't pass out no tracks. <laughs> I wasn't even worried about Jesus at that point. I was just worried about Dr. Joe Ainge. And uh, so I, I, was down, I was down there and, and, and I was passing out tracks. And I, I was crossing the street there on Broadway. 
which is right not too far from the Ernest Tubb record shop. And I'm trying to help some of you identify where it's at. No, I'm joking. And, uh, and so, so I was in front of the Hume Fogg High School. And I was about to cross the street there. And there was this big man. I'm telling you, I think he might have been seven foot tall. I'm not sure. He was a big man, big old burly, rough looking man. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Now, you probably would not have done this because you're a lot more spiritual than I am. So. But I thought, Lord, there ain't no need for me to ask him a question or give him a track and he spit on me or hit me. But then I thought about Dr. Ainge. And I thought, well, Lord, I sure don't want to tell him I passed somebody up. So I said, sir, could I give you something to read? I'll never forget it. He looked down at me and he said, can you help me? That's not what I was expecting. I looked up at him and I said, no, sir, but I know somebody that can. We went over to a little bus stop and we sat down. I opened up my New Testament. I showed Claudius Beeman how to trust Christ as his Savior. Now, please forgive me. Please forgive me. I didn't know any better. I thought the only way you could get in heaven is on your knees. So when they got ready for him to pray, I said, now, Claudius, we just need to kneel here. We're at a bus stop. There's hundreds of people getting on off buses downtown Nashville all around us. He said, right here. I said, well, that's the only way I know to get into heaven is to get on your knees and admit to God you're a sinner and you need to be saved. He looked both ways. We went down on our knees. But I'll never forget it. When he come up off his knees, he said, up above my head, there's a God somewhere. Glory to his, I didn't know up above my head. I knew glory to his name, so I just got right behind him. He started running around that little bus stop. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Wow. Three weeks later, I'm going to class. One of my buddies says, uh, Raven, there's a man on campus. I think he's a visitor. He's looking for you. I said, oh, where's he at? And they said, he's over near the snack shop. I went over it was Claudius Beeman. He's 46 years of age. He told me that day he got saved that his wife had kicked him out of the house. He was a drunk. Didn't have a job. He came and found me on that little college campus about four and a half miles down Broadway to West End from where he got saved. And so I just want you to know, since that day I trusted Jesus, I haven't drank a drop of liquor. And he said, my wife's let me back at home and I've got a job. And he said, I just want to thank you for being downtown that day telling me about Jesus. Hey, listen to me. The fields are white already to harvest. And, and those fields, those fields ought to motivate us. They, they ought to motivate us. But because, listen, the truth is, the problem is not with the, not with the field. Look at it. Look there. You're there in verse 35. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. They're white already. I heard about a shoe salesman went to a country 
got over there, went over there to sell shoes, got over there, didn't nobody have shoes on. He sent a telegram back to his main office. Head office said, bring me home. Nobody wears shoes here. So he took him home. They sent another salesman over there. He sent a telegram back. Send me more shoes. Ain't nobody got any on over here. You know what the difference was? He, He saw the possibility. He understood that there was plenty of prospects. Can I tell you, there are plenty of prospects. There are plenty of prospects. They're all around you. Oh, I know. I know where we are. We're in the buckle of the Bible belt. I understand that. But did you know there's a lot of lost people within a mile of this place? You understand that there are people right here in your community, in your city, your county, who've never one time understood the gospel because somebody's explained it to them. I know that's hard to fathom, but it happens all the time in Raleigh. People come that don't know anything about the gospel. Over eight billions of people. You you, you know what there is? There's over 20 times as many people living today who never heard the gospel as there were that were even living when Jesus made this statement. Two out of every three people on this planet tonight, out of those eight billions of souls, over five billion of them have never one time been confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you and I, if you and I just gave the gospel to 25% of that crowd and they trusted Christ, that would produce a harvest of 1,336,000,000 people, which is four times the population of the whole United States of America. What are you saying, Pastor Raven? I'm saying the fields should motivate us. The food should activate us because it's harvest time. Now, one last truth. I want you to see it. We'll be through. The fruit that should stimulate us. Look at what Jesus says in verse number 36. He says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. You know what that fruit is? That that fruit is talking about the harvest. That fruit was a word they used to talk about the grains that they gathered into their barns. That that fruit was that which they worked to bring into a storage place. Can can I just say to you, every time you and I share the gospel with someone and they trust the Lord Jesus as their Savior, we are gathering fruit into God's eternal storehouse. It is fruit and it's fruit that remains. It can't be spoiled by the locust of this life. It's not temporal, it's eternal. But I understand we're not to do what we do for reward, but can I just say to you, we're to do what we do because we love the Lord. But can you, what a what a wonderful reality Jesus speaks about here. If we do what we do because we love the Lord, then he pays tops wages. Look at it. Look at it. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. That that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Charles Spurgeon, perhaps the greatest English preacher who's ever lived, said one day to his congregation, if I were to give you a thousand pounds for every person you witnessed to this week, 
how many would you witness to? Now, understand pounds is their money. So let's just put it in our vernacular. If pastor stood up tomorrow night, we close out mission conference, he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. On Sunday, we're going to give every person in this building $1,000 for every person you share a track with. What, what would you do? You'd say, load me up. Uh, yeah, you, you, you wouldn't meet anybody that you didn't think ought to get the gospel track. You, you'd, come in next, you'd come in Sunday and say, I passed out 742. You, you understand that what we're talking about is far more than $742,000? We're, we're talking about eternal fruit. We're, we're, we're talking about fruit that's never going to perish. We're, we're talking about fruit that's never going to die. We're talking about fruit. Listen to me. Listen to me. The, the truth is, you, you and I are not responsible for the, for the <coughs> response of the fruit. What we're responsible for is making sure the fruit <coughs> has an opportunity to be saved. That's what we're to do. We're, we're to go out and to tell the good news. We're to go and share the gospel. And notice what Jesus says. Please don't miss this. Look at it at the end of verse number 36. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Verse 37. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. Listen to me. I like the reaping. I have to admit, you tell you where I like to be on the soul winning journey? I like to be with the person who prays with the person who trusts Christ. But do you understand? That anybody you ever have the privilege to see trust Christ as their Savior, somebody else planted, somebody else watered, so, somebody did a little cultivating. Hey, listen to me. Listen to me. It is, it is very, very rare. I'm not saying it never happens, but it's very rare that a person get confronted with the gospel the very first time and trust Christ. Somebody showed an act of kindness. Somebody shared a word of testimony. Somebody gave a loving smile. Somebody passed out a gospel tract. Somebody. Please understand that, that, that this process of world evangelism is a partnership process. The Browns are going to Japan. The Praetors are going to Paraguay. Most of us are not going to Japan nor Paraguay. But you know what? We can be a part of the process. Because we can, be, we can be part of the partnership. I, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 6. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God giveth the increase. It's, it's not up to me for people to be saved. It's up to me for them to have an opportunity to be saved. It's up for me to have a good testimony. Hey, hey listen. Hey, we'll, we'll get real personal. We'll put shoe leather right here on, on the ground with us. All right? it, it's up to me to, to, to be kind to that person who's having a terrible day at Walmart. My wife and I, I don't know, five, six years ago, was flying home from vacation. I always try to get back in on Friday night. Our plane got delayed and thunderstorms in Atlanta. We circled and they finally sent us to Knoxville because they said we needed some more fuel and we were just going to be in Knoxville on the ground a few minutes and we were on the ground two hours. 
So when we get to Atlanta, the plane we're supposed to be on going home has already for sure taken off. I mean, it's, we're way behind schedule. But I'm thinking, you know what, everybody else is behind schedule because of those thunderstorms. And so uh, I told Sharon, I said, you run on, I'll be there in a little bit. And, uh, and so I, I'll catch up with you. And, and so, uh, so, so we get over there, and there's a guy, I'm telling you, preacher, he's, he's giving this woman behind the gate agent, he's giving her what for? I'm what for? I mean, what for? And I'm thinking, I want to get on that plane too. The door shut. So when I get up there, I said, ma'am, I said, uh, I see the door shut, and I know the plane's supposed to have left two hours ago, but it's still sitting at the end of the jetway. Do you think there's any way I could get on that plane? She says, sir, I don't think there is. I said, I, I fly Delta pretty good now. I looked around, I said, you reckon that red coat, that means he's a supervisor. I said, you reckon that red coat can help me? She said, you can try. So I went over to her, and I said, sir, I'm... I'm needing to be on that plane. I'm a pastor. And I know I'd probably get home tomorrow, but I really like to get home tonight. And any way you can get me on that plane? He said, well, I think I can. So he went over there and keyed in a few numbers at the door. We got on the plane. Mean dude got on the plane too. We sat down. He sat down. We were both on the aisle seat. He's right across from me. So after we get to 10,000 feet, flight attendant comes back there and she says, uh, sir, can I ask you a question? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, what kind of position do you hold with Delta? I said, ma'am. She said, I know you're probably an executive, aren't you? I said, no, ma'am. I said, I'm, I may be platinum this year, but that's about it. <laughs> she said, sir, you, you, you're not in the company? I said, no, ma'am, I'm just a customer. She says, sir, I've been flying 19 years. I've never seen a plane once it's pressurized, be depressurized in order to let other customers come on. I said, well, that's great. I said, I need to get home. I said, I'm a pastor. So mean dude over here, okay. He looks across. He said, did you say you were a pastor? I said, yeah. I said, what you do for a living? He said, I don't even want to tell you. I said, well, you don't have to tell me. It's all right. He said, no, I'm going to tell you because I feel terrible. He said, I'm a gospel singer. I'm trying to get to meet my quartet to sing somewhere. And he said, but I just blew my testimony and you had a sweet testimony. Now, I'd love to tell you, okay? I'd love to tell you that's the way I always react. But, but being my wife might be watching online, and it's not the way I always react, Okay. But, but you listen to me. You, I don't know where that girl's at tonight, lady. That was my flight attendant. You know what? But, but, but I gave her a track that night. Told her about the Lord. But, but you know what? I could have been as I could have been as rude as the other dude. You see, what I'm saying is, this, this is a partnership process. One man, one man plants, another man waters, somebody else comes along and cultivates, somebody else pulls the weeds out, somebody else goes up there and, and, and piles the dirt a little better. And it's a process. And you know what Jesus said? Listen to me. 
He, look, well, look right there. I, I don't think I can read it to you. We're down about what? Verse 37, I think. 38, 37 maybe. It says, yeah. Herein is that saying, one soweth another reap, as I say unto you, that reap whereon ye bestow no labor. For other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Do you understand that, that both of us, it doesn't matter what part of the process you're in, <coughs> you're in. it doesn't matter where you're at in the process, when a soul is saved, you reap the benefit. I, I may never go to Japan. I'd love to go to Japan. I've been to Japan, flew through Japan. I had to spend one night there because our plane they thought was on fire when we was going toward Manila. So they carried us back to Tokyo, thank God. And, um, but you know what? I can give and I can pray for the Browns. And one day when we get to heaven... Some of those Japanese people that gather around the throne and sing worthy is the lamb. I can say, boy, I had a little part in that. I prayed for them. I gave so they could go. See, it's all, it's all a partnership. It's not, it's not, it's not well, uh, no, no, listen to me. Listen to me. Everybody, everybody likes to reap. But there's a lot more people involved in the process than the reaper. There's a lot more people. That, that, that word, those words that are used there in verse number 38, labored and labor, they remind us that it, that it takes a lot of work. A lot of work. I read the story. It's been a few years now. Francis Dixon. Dixon was a, was a preacher in, the, in England, one of the great Baptist pastors. <laughs> I'll tell you this little side story, and then I'll go back to my story. When I told this story, at that point I had a lady in my church who was from Ireland, Miss Patricia McConaughey. And so after the service that morning, she walked out and she said, Pastor, did you know Dr. Francis Dixon? I said, no, Miss McConaughey, I read that in a book. Oh, he stayed in our home many times. He said just before he would retire in the evening, he didn't want a little cocoa. I said, well, wonderful. You know, I don't know Francis Dixon. But anyway, I, I came to find out why she knew Francis Dixon. One of, one of her cousins, W.P. Nicholson, was used in a great way in revival in England and Ireland and Wales and Scotland in the early part of the 20th century. And in 1929, uh, Dixon was saved under her, her cousin's ministry. So, so Dixon was a great pastor in in England, and and one one day he was in the service, and um, he asked a young man there to share his testimony. Young man's name was Peter. Peter stood in Dixon's service that night, and he said, uh, I, "I was uh, I was in the Royal Navy. I was stationed in Sydney, Australia." I was walking down George Street one day when a little old gray-haired man walked up to me and he says, Young man, I'd like to ask you a question. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? It's only two choices, heaven or hell. Think about it, sir. Would you please? To do. Peter got through sharing his testimony that night. There was... a. quiet over the building nobody said much but not long after Dr. Dixon had a revival team to come 
One of the young men in that revival team was named Noel. Noel shared his testimony in the same church. He said, I was in the Royal Navy. I was stationed in Sydney, Australia, and one day I was walking down George Street. I met this little old white-haired man. He walked up to me and said, excuse me, sir, may I ask you a question? Where will you spend eternity? There's only two choices, heaven or hell. Think about it, sir. To do. Dr. Dixon told Noel, he said, uh, I have a young man in my church, Peter, and he introduced him. Not long after that, Dixon went to Australia. He was preaching in a Baptist church in the city of Adelaide. He told the testimonies of those two young men, and while he was speaking, a man stood up in the congregation and said, Excuse me, Dr. Dixon. I, I too was a young man walking down George Street in Sydney one day when a little white-haired man walked up to me and said, Excuse me, sir, could I ask you a question? Where will you spend eternity? There's only two choices, heaven or hell. Think about it, sir. To do. Dr. Dixon preached on the other side of the continent in Perfta. In Perfta, he shared the story again after the service that night. A deacon came up to him and said, I'm, I'm another convert of the little white-haired man on George Street. Got back to England. He was preaching in a Bible conference in northern England. He told the story. Another man came to him and said, I too was walking down George Street when I was approached to that, by that man and later trusted Christ. Sometime later, he was in India. He's preaching to missionaries there. He told them about the story. He was preaching on personal soul winning and a female missionary came up and said, Dr. Dixon, I'm another convert. I was walking down George Street in Sydney, Australia one day when that little white-haired man walked up to me and said, where will you spend eternity? I too trusted Christ. He went to Jamaica, told the story, met another convert. So he decided that the next time he went to Australia, he had to go to Sydney went to Sydney and asked one of his preacher friends, do you know a little white-haired man that walks up and down George Street saying to people, excuse me, sir, where will you spend eternity? There are only two choices, heaven or hell. Think about it. To do. He said, oh, yeah. He said, that's Mr. Jenner. He, he, said, he said, is he still living? He said, oh yeah, he's living. He said, he's, he's in very bad health. He is bedridden and he's blind. He said, I've got to go see him. So that pastor took Francis Dixon to meet that man, Mr. Jenner. When he got there in his presence, he sat down beside his bed. He took him by the hand and he said to him, Mr. Jenner, I'm a pastor from England. I have a young man in my church by the name of Peter. When he was in the Royal Navy, you approached him about eternity. He came back to our country and got born again. We had a revival team and a young man by the name of Noel stood and shared that same testimony, how he too, after he, being confronted by you, found a Christian and trusted Christ. He said that I was in Jamaica and I was in India and I was in Adelaide and I was in Perfta. I've, I've met your converts, Mr. Jenner, all, all over the world. And he said, I just wanted to come and meet you, sir. 
And he said, Mr. Jenner's tears began to run down his cheeks. He said, oh, I've never known that I've had a convert. I've never known I had a convert. How many years did Mr. Jenner walk down George Street? Excuse me, sir. I'd like to ask you a question. Where will you spend eternity? There are just two choices, heaven or hell. Think about it, sir. Do you understand tonight that there's food, the will of God that should activate us? There are fields that are white already to harvest that should motivate us. And there's fruit. You and I may never see it. But one day when we gather around the throne eternal. Might be a Japanese man or woman or boy or girl. Might be a young person from Paraguay. Might be somebody from Fletcher or Asheville or Hendersonville or Brevard. You and I were part of the process. And he that soweth and he that reapeth receiveth wages. Where are you in the partnership? Let's think about it here and I'll close. Let's think about it right here. Who have you shared your testimony with this, this week? Who have you told about Christ this week? Who, who did you hand a gospel tract to this week? Who did you give an invite to church this week? Who, who, who did you smile and act kind toward? You may not even mention Jesus. You may have just been kind to them. And they may have thought when you left, there's something different about him. There's something different about her. Right here, what, have you, what, what are you doing in the process right here? I know, we get missions conference and we think, oh, to the regions beyond I must go. I go, no, 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 to the folks across the street. To the people where I work. People I go to school with. What are you doing in the process right here? I know, I, I like to be the reaper, I do. I love it when somebody bows their head and trusts Christ as Savior. And, Hallelujah! But it's just as important that I sow, that I plant, that I water, that I cultivate. What you doing right here? And then I, I, think it'd be, I think it would be a miss of us tonight to not ask, what am I doing beyond here? How much do I pray for missionaries? I don't know how you pray for your missionaries. We support about 175, 180 missionaries every month financially. We have a prayer list. It's about, it's about a... 10 or 12 page booklet and I go through there every day and pray for about 12 or 14 of them every day. You praying? You giving? We're going to do a faith promise. I don't know if we'll do it tomorrow night if you do it Sunday. Whatever preacher says you do, that's what you do. 
I, I didn't grow up in a faith promise church. I, I, and when I became the pastor of our church, I won't go bore you with anything, but I became pastor of our church. We just took 10% of our general fund, gave it to missions. We were giving about $60,000 a year 25 years ago. Last year, 2022, we gave $618,000 worldwide missions. That's above our general fund budget. That's $2 million. We have a building debt of about $1.3 million, but we gave $618,000 worldwide missions. I didn't give all that myself, but I gave some of it. You know why? Because I, 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 I heard my daddy say when I was a boy, you ought to put your money where your mouth is. Amen. <laughs> I know that's not in the Bible, okay? I'd be a hypocrite to take, preach to you about, about giving the missions and not give myself. Listen to me. What are you doing in the process? Right here locally, then the region's beyond. What are you doing? If, if, if pastor announced next week, we're going to take a mission trip to wherever, Kalamazoo. There is a Kalamazoo. I, I, we always said that when I was a boy, Kalamazoo, but then I found out there was one. I went to Michigan and I found one. Would you say, well, I don't, I don't think I can go. Well, yeah, some of you could go. All of us can give. may not be the same amount, but it, it doesn't have to be equal amount. It has to be equal sacrifice. I think that's, a, I think that's what 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 teaches. I, don't, I won't teach that right now. I think that's what it teaches. All of us can give. All of us can pray. All of us can pray. All of us can grab that prayer card back there put it somewhere in our place of prayer. See, it's harvest time. Don't say it's four months and going to come harvest. No, it's harvest time.